to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming from the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus performed many signs and in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God. Have a good week and enjoyed your bank holiday and the nice weather. Now... Who's, who's got any Easter eggs left? Anyone? Hands up. Oh, well done, Lorraine, Elizabeth. <laughs> who's eaten all their Easter eggs? Oh. Who never had any in the first place? Oh. Now, most of the children are over at the parade today, aren't they? So you can admit it. Who, who ate their children's Easter eggs? <laughs> Jeff, if you did, tell me later because your kids are here. So just come and tell me afterwards. But who ate their kids' Easter eggs? Anyone? 
going to read it. Oh, we've got up there. We've got honesty. We've got honesty in the church. That's what we need. We've got... <laughs> exactly. Too much chocolate. So, as the excitement of Easter fades, and we've come to the end of a journey, haven't we, really? We've had a journey through Lent, Palm Sunday, Holy Week, sombre reflection at the cross on Good Friday, and the dramatic conclusion, Easter Day, the, re- the resurrection, the empty tomb. And it's sometimes said that the journey is better than the destination, And as humans, we certainly enjoy a good journey sometimes, don't we? I think even the programs that we watch on TV can sometimes attest to that. I've got a few examples of journeys I'm going to talk about and some pictures on the slide. There's Jesus and the empty tomb. But what other sort of journeys do we like? I've got what's next? DIY SOS. We like our home improvement and garden programs, don't we? Seeing a problem and a solution on paper and then it comes into fruition and then you've got the grand unveil where the excited homeowner goes, oh, isn't it so lovely and I'm so pleased and there's tears and it's great. And then what's next? Oh, talent shows. We like a talent show, don't we? There's Britain's Got Talent on the... And we see the people come for the auditions and they get through the semi-finals and then the finals and then there's a winner and... They're all excited, and the golden confetti comes down. There's emotional music, and isn't it wonderful? And then what's going to be next? Oh, our charity. We like charities, so comic relief. We've got, we like to watch our celebrities. Like I've got there, David Williams, when he swum the, the uh, Thames. And we give money to our celebrities as they do these exciting journeys, and we journey through them and the highs and lows, and it's really hard, and are they going to make it? And then they get over the line, and they celebrate, and it's so wonderful. But rarely, if ever, do we devote as much time to going back afterwards. That's the end of the journey, and then so what? You know, do we ever go back to the house that they've done up a year later and see how they're getting on with it. Sometimes they give you like 30 seconds at the end of the program, if that, for a year later. And after someone's won our TV talent shows, they go off into the sunset and maybe they'll be successful, but maybe they'll just go back to obscurity. But does it matter? Because there's another series next year, so we'll just watch that instead. And after our celebrities have completed their challenges and it's all so lovely that they've done it, How much time do we give to paying attention to the story of where the money's going to and whether there's still a need that exists there that's only been partially met? Now, there's nothing wrong with... Oh, I've gone on too far. Don't press the button yet. There's nothing wrong with a good story. There's nothing wrong with seeing human creativity improve someone's house or garden or seeing an undiscovered talent get their chance to shine on TV. There's certainly nothing wrong with giving money to a good cause and definitely nothing wrong with celebrating the Easter story and Jesus' death and resurrection. But what next? Having reached the climax of the Easter season on Easter Sunday, do we just sit back with a satisfied smile, wait for Pancake Day next year to kick it all off again? Or do we wrestle with what the resurrection of Jesus actually means for us day by day? And I want to try and consider that this morning by looking at a few verses from our reading from Revelation. Now, Revelation sometimes seems to be a scary, puzzling book, and maybe we think it's better to leave it for others in favour of the 
the other New Testament letters. They're a bit easier to understand. And, well, the end of the world's probably not coming anytime soon, so let's just set it to one side for now. But Revelation, I think, is not really that different to the rest of the New Testament. It's a letter, like the rest, most of the rest of the New Testament. It's written to the early churches, but it's relevant to Christians throughout the ages. And it concerns how to live in the time between the ascension of Jesus and his second coming. There is bits in it about the second coming and the end of the world as we know it, but that's only part of the letter, and I think we're missing out in a lot of ways if we exclude it from our Bible. Now, the writer, John, as he calls himself, originally penned the letter to seven churches in Asia, which is part of our greeting today, and he offers a blessing of grace and peace from God the Father, that's the one who is and who was and who is to come, God the Holy Spirit, which is the seven spirits before his throne, and God the Son, Jesus Christ. I want to give a brief aside here to answer, the, well, what was the obvious question to me? I don't know if it was the obvious question to you, but why seven spirits? I thought, has our trinity just become an entity of nine? I didn't know what to call a ninety. I thought, an octopus with an extra leg. But commentators think that the seven spirits, it could be a reference to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in each of the seven churches. Perhaps it's just an extension of the common usage of the number seven in the book of Revelation to reflect the perfection of God. But the commentators are generally united in the view that this is the reference to the Holy Spirit who is just one single member of the Trinity. To John, God is three in one. There are three members of the Trinity, but it's Jesus who has begun a monumental work in the history of creation, and he's the catalyst for the completion of this work. Now, has anyone ever seen this image that I've got up on screen before? I've come across it before. I think most of us can relate to it in some shape or form, and it gives you a bit of a chuckle. Uh, as I was writing this week, I was reminded that our journey of faith isn't always as smooth as we'd like it to be. But God is at work and he's making it possible for humanity to complete the journey into new creation. And I was thinking about the journey from the start of creation to new creation, which is part of what Revelation speaks about. And how that journey is perhaps not as smooth as we might like. But there wasn't a pre-created image online to do that, so I've done my own one. Next slide. But I will warn you, Art is not one of my strongest points. At school, I was once paired up with another girl in the art class who was the best in the class, I think in the hope that in a group project we could produce something mediocre with her excellence and my terribleness. But it didn't work. She didn't drag me up. I just dragged her down to my pathetic level. So setting aside the fact that this is an oversimplification and looks like it could have been done by a 10-year-old, here we go. So the world was started, the original creation, the Garden of Eden. It was always the intention that it would transition into a new creation. And much like the top of the slide before, we would like that to be just a straight line, perhaps a slight incline, very easy journey. But it didn't quite go like that. There was always a journey because God said to Adam and Eve, even in Genesis, Go forth and multiply, subdue the earth. There was work to be done. Eden was very good 
but not yet perfect. New creation was always the aim. But then there was the fall. A bit of a bump in the road. Or perhaps a significant bump in the road, creating an insurmountable barrier on the journey from Eden to new creation, which is reflected by the giant sea or lake in my image. And I thought, well, anyone pedantic might say, well, you could just swim across it. So I did a shark. You definitely can't get across it. Insurmountable barrier. But then there's Easter, the Easter story. The death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the metaphorical boat that gets us across that insurmountable barrier. But the point I'm trying to make there is so often we stop at this. This is the image we stop at. We say, the fall happened, the death and resurrection of Jesus overcame the fall. End of the story. But there is more to the story. More that's alluded to in both of our readings today, but particularly in the opening element of Revelation. And that is that the resurrection of Jesus is just a turning point in the story of history that sets us back on the path to new creation. But there's still the resurrected Jesus is the one that takes us from where we are now on a one-way, fast-track journey to new creation with the little car that I put up there on the screen. And it's through the resurrected Jesus, but also in some mysterious way that I don't think we can ever fully understand It's through the work of faithful believers here and now that we will reach the new creation. And although John, the writer of Revelation, is clearly a believer in the Trinity, I think he's clear in the opening verses that we see today that Jesus has a special role to play in the current age. Because John said, he's freed us from our sins by his blood, And he's a faithful witness. And in the original Greek, this term of a faithful witness conjures up, perhaps in a sense, a law court. Saying Jesus is the witness who testifies to our righteousness. As it says in Psalm 103 verse 12, Through him our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. This mirrors the language from Colossians 1, verse 18, which also speaks of our reconciliation to God and the lordship of Jesus as him being firstborn from the dead. And Easter was just the start. Jesus being firstborn from the dead means that through his resurrection, he's launched the new creation. He's the forerunner with a new creation body, and there's the expectation that in the resurrection of the dead, we will follow in his footsteps. As it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will take on a new resurrection body in the same way that Jesus has. But whilst we wait for this fulfillment of the work, it's the fulfillment we wait for, because it's actually already started. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And what else does our reading today tell us? It says Jesus has made us a kingdom and priests to serve God the Father. That's the lingering impact of Easter Sunday and the truth of the resurrection. 
The kingdom of God is not waiting for some future coming before it's going to be established. The kingdom of God is here in this room today. We here are united. People from all backgrounds, all nations, all ethnicities, genders, socioeconomic groups, here in this room and in churches throughout the country and throughout the world, we're united under one king, the ruler of the kings of the earth, Jesus. And we are priests. Now I'm sure many people have written books and preached entire sermons just on what it means to be a priest. But suffice to say for this morning, the Old Testament priests, they came from the tribe of Levi to serve at the temple. But what Jesus has said in his life, throughout his ministry, in the Gospels, what he's saying surreptitiously is that you don't need the temple anymore. You just need Jesus. He's the meeting point between heaven and earth. Not the temple, it's Jesus. And if you don't need the temple, you don't need priests. You don't need the Levites to serve at the temple. So instead, Jesus has replaced the temple with himself and he's replaced the old priests that serve at the temple with each and every one of us. We are his priests who serve him. And this is not a passive role of sitting back and being glad that Easter has happened, waiting for Jesus to come again. It's an active role of ministry. If I quote again from 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 5, this time verse 20, Paul says to us, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though he were making his appeal through us. There is work for us to do. It's not a passive waiting this age. There is work for us to do as the kingdom of God, as priests for God. And John goes on to say, he says, look, he's coming with the clouds. So every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and the people of earth will mourn because of him. Now again, this is strange and confusing language in some ways, but really John's quoting imagery from Daniel 2, Zechariah 12, and Jesus' own words in Mark 13 and Matthew 24. So even when we look at the book of Revelation, it seems confusing or hard to understand. What I want to say in part today is that it just draws on the rest of the Bible. It's not different to the rest of the Bible. It draws from the Old Testament prophets. It draws from the other New Testament letters. And that's why I'm cross-referencing from elsewhere so much today. So there's nothing new or different or scary in Revelation. It sits perfectly with the rest of the Bible. And in these verses, John's clear. The story doesn't end at Easter. Jesus is coming on the clouds again. Every eye will see him. As the Old Testament prophets attested and Jesus pointed out, there is more to come and we should welcome it. So shall it be, amen, says John. Now I want to end this morning just by playing a song and giving you a chance to reflect during it. Because I was reminded of this song as I was preparing. And I think it draws on some of the imagery that I've talked about today. It draws on other imagery as well from later on in the book of Revelation and elsewhere in the Bible. But the message that it conveys 
really aligns, I think, with the message I wanted to give today. And that message is that Jesus, he was only getting started at Easter. It's not the end of the journey, and we celebrate the end, and wasn't it wonderful, and then we forget about it until next year. He was only getting started at Easter. Because he died and rose again, he's worthy to reign over the new creation, and he invites us to join in with him, reigning as his kingdom, as his priests, as his friends in new creation. Amen.